The signals conveyed the cues of safety or danger sent from one autonomic nervous system to another invite regulation or increase reactivity. Deb Dana. This is Exploring Polyvagal Theory, a dialogue between practitioners to deepen our understanding of the nervous system and how we might make safety in everyday life accessible for all. I'm Lauren Hubele. I'm a health educator and gymotherapy expert. I'm here with co-host, Japanese acupuncturist, Megan Limp. Hello, Megan. Hi, Lauren. It's great to be back with you. Good to have you back. And we've invited a dear friend of mine, Christine Terrell, who's a colleague and also a former client only because I'm not seeing clients anymore. Hi, Christine. Hi, how are you? Good, so good you accepted my offer. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for asking me. So before we dive into our topic today, um, first, let me tell you what it is. <laughs> We're going to explore activism and polyvagal theory. And I probably don't even need to say why this is important today, but many of us are called to the role of being an activist that in unprecedented times, actually during a pandemic. And so if there isn't already enough going on that triggers our nervous system, we feel this call to speak out and be activists in our communities, in our states or nationally. And I think it's important that we take a look at what polyvagal theory has to offer all of us um, in this setting. But before we, we dive into this conversation and Christine, why we have you here, I want to just backtrack a little bit and look at um, the three organizing principles of polyvagal theory. And Megan, these were co-created between Deb Dana and Stephen Porges, I believe, is that right? Yeah, they were. And I think that it's, I'm so glad that we're touching on this today because I don't think that we've touched on this in a recording yet. And it's so important because these really bring polyvagal theory to life. So the three are hierarchy, neuroception, and co-regulation. And I'm gonna start out with co-regulation because it happens to be my favorite. And um, I'm sitting here with my sweet little cat and um, who's a great co-regulator for me. And what, here's what Deb Dana has to say about co-regulation, that it's through the reciprocal regulation of our autonomic nervous states that we feel safe to move into connection and create trusting relationships. So it's this co-regulation idea isn't something that we have to think about or put into action or tell our nervous system to do. That, that's what's really important. It happens when we have the signals of safety and we're engaged in a trusting relationship. And that can be with a friend, with a partner, with a 
pet. It can be with nature. And we all need to identify these co-regulators in our life because we need them all the time, not just um, when we find ourselves in the state. We need to continually be regulating our autonomic nervous system. So Megan, I jumped to my favorite first, but I think we should talk also about hierarchy and neuroception. Do you want to share a little bit about those? Yeah, I'd be happy to. And I read something recently about co-regulation that I found so fascinating, which is uh, in the Tao of Trauma, which is a book that explores polyvagal theory and trauma treatment through the lens of traditional uh, Chinese medicine. They talked about how the body sends, when it receives a message through the nervous system, it then sends that message of safety or the message of needing to mobilize into some kind of action through the heart rhythm. Uh -huh. And the pulse changes, it changes in a subtle way to send that message to the body. But interestingly, they have found that when that changes, it affects people up to 15 feet away from you and their heart rhythms change. Wow. Um, so yeah, so this is happening again without us needing to be aware of it or needing to tell a story about it or the ability to control it. This is um, the way things happen. And I think that Lauren and I have found and talked so much about, um, there's a beauty in not having a story about it because it allows us just to see what is and to work with that and to bring a lot of compassion. Um, but one of the other guiding principles that uh, Deb Dana and Stephen Porges um, have helped us understand about how polyvagal theory works and the autonomic system works is, uh, the hierarchy of the three states of the autonomic nervous system. And typically when we're talking about the autonomic nervous system, Deb Dana so beautifully creates this image for us of a ladder. And I think that that really is a helpful image because we're sort of climbing out and higher up into um, the states of the nervous system. So at the top of the ladder, is the ventral vagal state. And that's what allows us to feel safe and connected to each other. When mammals first started to evolve as a species, we were small and we needed to bond together to um, survive as a species. And so we need social engagement. Um, it's one of the imperatives to our survival. And we feel connected and um, when we're in the ventral vagal state. So that's at the top of the ladder. That's ventral vagal. And that's a calm connectedness, connected to ourselves, maybe connected to the person that we're co-regulating with or uh, connecting to our environment. And then if we drop down, we enter the sympathetic mobilization. That's typically what we hear people call fight or flight. Uh, and that is when we feel mobilized to do something. So our nervous system senses a potential threat or something that it feels like it needs to respond to, whether that threat is real or just perceived, the nervous system doesn't tell the difference between those two and it moves into action. And that's the sympathetic nervous system. 
And then if we drop down, if the sympathetic nervous system isn't able to solve the problem, or we feel that the problem is too overwhelming and fighting or, or fleeing won't work, our sort of emergency break for the survival of the species is through the dorsal vagal. And that is another aspect of the parasympathetic nervous system. Ventral and dorsal are the two parts of the parasympathetic nervous system. And again, dorsal is all about conservation. So the, it's really intended to save our life. Mm -hmm. So uh, dorsal is often called shutdown. And dorsal looks like low energy and conservation of energy. It looks a bit flat, maybe, in affect. Um, and it's not about social engagement at all. In fact, that is typically referred to as the reptilian response. And so it, it's not a social response. It's, it's very much alone. Um, and so again, if we move back up the ladder in life-saving, preserving ourselves, we go from dorsal shutdown and then something mobilizes us. Our, something changes in the nervous system and we feel like we can fight or flee or mobilize ourselves. And we move up into sympathetic. And then all the way up from sympathetic, once we get a little bit mobilized and then we can kind of organize and settle and discharge a little bit of that sympathetic energy, we can settle into ventral, which is connection. Beautiful. Megan, that's so, so well put. Christine, I'm sure you're clicking through these already in your head, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So Megan, the the other um, um, hi, uh, the other piece of this and organizing principles is neuroception, and um, I I love getting to know this. And this is a term actually that Stephen Poor just created himself, which I love it when people make their own words. <laughs> yes, and in fact, neuroception, I think they're all guiding principles that have really brought this to life and helped me reframe every moment. But neuroception has been really game-changing for me um, because neuroception is the way that the nervous system responds to stimuli. So whether that's something inside of us or something externally, the autonomic nervous system and its response to stimuli happen in the primitive part of our brain, in the brainstem. And so it happens in a precognitive way. So we don't necessarily have to have a story about something. In fact, often the way our nervous system is responding to a stimulus might not even make sense to us right away. Exactly. Uh, because it's precognitive. But so that's the idea of neuroception is that our autonomic nervous system is scanning the world for cues of safety and danger. And that is what neuroception is. It's the nervous system's response to those cues in a precognitive way. Yeah. It, what, what I like to think about too with neuroception is it really lets us off the hook because so often we want to take on that burden of responsibility like why am i doing this and we really can be harsh and beat ourselves up that you know i shouldn't be responding this way and whether it's a response you have when you get on an airplane or when you're speaking in front of a group 
And, and here's the truth. It, it has nothing to do with something you can control. It's coming directly from that neuroception. It offers, I think, a lot of freedom. Um, there are so many teachers today that we could point to that talk about, um, you know, you and I have talked through emotional immunity about um, moving, kind of rolling with things and, and riding the wave of what comes at us. And some people talk about the surrender experiment or uh, loving what is. And I think these are all pointings mm -hmm. to, um, you know, we respond to things and it doesn't have to make sense. It is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. So let's get to the fun part here. <laughs> so we've covered the groundwork and, um, you know, I, Christine, I feel really compelled to say this because everyone's going to be listening to us. You know, we are, the two of us are engaged with a group of women in our community in some activism. And yet, um, we, we are nowhere near on the front lines of some of the activism that's going on today in this country. And I really want to um, honor all those men and women that are out there at this time um, with all of their trauma history that the two of us don't have um, because of the color of their skin or because of their gender or because of where they were born. And um, I, I think before um, we claim this in any way, I think it's important just to put that out as a, a disclaimer, so to speak, that this is you know, we're talking from our experience, as we all should be, and our truth, and, um, um, but, but here we are. And so we have this um, little story from this morning that unfolded, and um, Christine, why don't you just set the stage for everyone, um, what, what went on this morning, what were we doing? Well, so we've been going to, in Texas, we have the, our commissioner's court, which runs the county. And so we've been, Lauren and I have both been going each Tuesday morning to speak during public comment. And um, mostly we've been in that room just waiting to speak. And this morning and last morning, last week, um, there were so many people that have been called in from, we're not sure where, but they've been called in to speak that the courtroom's overflowing. And so we weren't actually in the room. And so I spent this morning um, waiting down the hallway, essentially listening to the proceedings over the, um, over the video, essentially. And so I was mostly doing what I normally did, except for in a different space than I had been doing it. Right, right. But I think to, I want to rewind just a bit. Sure. So Last week, we were really caught by surprise by this group, right? And they were um, not particularly a group of people that were um, offering cues of safety. Uh, would you agree with that? Well, I, you know, I was thinking about it as you both were speaking. I think they themselves feel very safe to them, to each other. They were co-regulating, I would think, amongst themselves. They, I think, felt very safe right. to be there right. and were not thinking about what anybody else might be experiencing in that room. Right, right. And, and that kind of taps into what Megan was saying, that you can um, send that energy out, right? Your energy field. And I think one of the things I was thinking of, because this all real, the story really started the week before, um, 
and I shared a little bit on um, the last recording about my own experience, it was the first time we weren't all sitting together and it was the first time the courtroom was packed. So I was right. sitting apart from anyone that I could possibly co-regulate with. And <laughs> I had my own experience, um, which was a little surprising to me. Um, but everything um, explained with neuroception, it actually makes perfect sense. So Christine, you, you were in these, these different places today. You were sitting, listening to the speakers and you were with a group of friends um, that you could co-regulate with. Would you say that would be true? Sure, absolutely. Yeah, and so what was your experience just listening and, and then take us up through to you coming to speak? Well, it was interesting for me because I realized last week, especially, I had been physically nervous the whole time in that room. Like, and for me, I guess that that means shaking, like uncontrollable shaking. Like I have a really hard time, like not um, just physically shaking. I'm not sure exactly what that is. I'm sure it's all nervous system stuff and it's probably real normal, but I was focusing literally on my breathing, trying to calm that physical sensation last week. And this week, it was interesting because essentially the same people were showing up saying the exact same thing, but I wasn't in that space. And so being able to hear them, but not be in the space with them made a huge difference on my nervous system. Like I did not feel that thing at all until I crossed the threshold into the room to actually go speak myself. And it was literally like walking on, like kind of up against a wall of something there was something in the room where immediately my i just that shaking i wasn't shaking as badly but it started again like i was like oh wow. yeah it was a real physical sensation wow did you feel it as like before you were walking into the room like your name was called and you knew you were going to go up did it start before maybe just a tiny bit but not really because even at the door like the the, the deputy that's there like he's he you know he recognizes us now and he's quite kind to us and he was like he is a safe person i think sure. for sure. right and so right there i didn't have that experience it was literally like stepping over the threshold and seeing and just and wasn't even seeing i wasn't looking at the gallery i was literally feeling the energy or what i would call the energy in the room but I, you know, I wonder, listening to all the polyvagal stuff, it's really just not a bunch of nervous systems, right? Like, I'm literally feeling other people's nervous systems. <laughs> right, right, right. How does that change things for you? Um, I'm not sure that it does, I guess, because I've always thought about people's energy. But I, I guess in some ways, you know, a little bit of what you'd said before, which is I, I don't feel so much like they don't have so much ownership over it, right? Like I think up until recently, I would have said, oh, they're just, they don't know what they're talking about and they're not particularly nice people. I would have made up a story about why that energy was coming off of them and it would have had something to do with, you know, who they were as people. But now I can see, well, they're just scared. <laughs> like these people are, we're scared about different things, but they're scared, right? And it just makes more space for me, I think. Right. Well, you know, that alone, I think is really powerful for particularly for people out serving in these activist roles is to, to understand that, that we've got nervous systems up against nervous systems. 
and and this you know takes us right to this whole idea of, of neuroception, right? And they're they can't control it any more than you can, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about your physical sensations because I always find those fascinating. And of course, that's some of what Megan and I've been using to help consider extracts that might be useful. And so you walk in the door and why don't you just kind of put yourself in that moment and kind of go through like each part of your body, what, what was happening, including temperature and movement. Yeah. For me, it's mostly right in my chest, like right almost in the space between my heart and my throat. Like, um, what's the, I don't even know what it is. It's not really, it's weird. It's not an actual organ where this hits me. It's just a strange sensation and it just tightens up. And then once that tightens up, then very quickly the, the shaking isn't really the, I mean, it is a physical, but it feels like an internal shaking more than a, like, you couldn't physically see me shake, I don't think, but I feel like I'm inside. I feel like every part of me is just vibrating. Right. Um, and, and I don't like to publicly speak at all anyway, right? So there's all of that stuff for me, even though I have gotten over that a little bit in the last few weeks, I'm, I'm feeling sure. better. But um, yeah, and, and for me, it's a lot of like that feeling that of, in, of that in that room makes me indignant. Like I'm a naturally indignant person anyway. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, I know, shocking, right? <laughs> um, and so, I take that, you know, I take that kind of what I would call negative energy and I get really frustrated about it. So I think that's all just, you know, it's just the physical sens sensations are pretty much exactly what I explained. They're very, they're very specific and they're not very, um, there's not very many of them for me. It's just, they, there's two of them and they're pretty intense. <laughs> and when did they dissipate, Christine? They dissipated a little bit as I spoke actually today and in part just because I was, I, I was personally, I had worked on what I was going to say and I was confident that it was the right thing to say, which for me makes a huge difference. Like when I'm not 100% confident that what I'm saying is either accurate or is going to land correctly, that just keeps that nervous system stuff really activated. But for me today, at least it was not so bad. I, I was like, I had a message, I came to deliver it. I knew I was gonna leave immediately after I spoke and I didn't have to be in that room. So I actually, yeah, it helped me calm down a little bit, I think. Yeah, Megan, you got some thoughts on that? Christine, I think that this is, thank you for sharing this so honestly. I think this is a really beautiful example of what mobilizing looks like for some people. And um, I actually find, although when I, um, my nervous system perceives threat, I certainly feel it in the body, not exactly in the same place that you're talking about, but in my practice, I actually hear that quite a lot from people, that this sort of middle upper chest here, that the tightening that sets into that area, um, almost in an area where if you were just gonna kind of rest your hand on your heart center, you might, you might come to there, really tightens up. And again, this is a, you know, precognitive, not on purpose response to either the real or perceived threat. And 
this through the Asian medicine lens and both and through the polyvagal lens, I think that this is a beautiful example. So through the Asian medicine lens, you know, at, at the first sign of potential threat, uh, we move out of our normal state of inquiry and the uh, lung energy is kind of activated and we start to um, be alert, more alert. And then um, kidney energy kicks in, which is our signaling center, where we try and perceive whether something is uh, a safe or dangerous situation. And then when we perceive that, we send that message to um, heart. And heart has two parts. It has the heart constrictor part, and that's our social energy. So we might try in a different situation and solve the perceived problem socially. And if we can't, then the message goes to the heart energy in the body and that mobilizes and your pulse changes and the reverberation of this message of needing to mobilize goes out to every cell in your body through the heart energy. And it, what's beautiful about this is that this is a, a moment by moment flow through life. And so mobilizing might've been um, what was needed in a particular situation. And so we want to be able to have the capacity to have that response. Um, our nervous system is changing states all of the time. And I think that the end of your story, I just want to point out, that's why this is such a great example, because this is what's supposed to happen. Once your nervous system can perceive that you're not in acute danger anymore, the heart then changes its signal and sends out a signal to the body that it can return to equilibrium or return to homeostasis. And it's okay for everything to calm back down, that yeah. things aren't as dangerous as we thought they were or the danger has passed. And it seems like when the, the sensation started to ease up for you, that that's what was happening. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, does that resonate, Christine? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, yeah, and it just makes me wish I knew about polyvagal when I was in high school and had to publicly speak. <laughs> right? This should be part of uh, elementary curriculum for all of us as humans, don't you think? Absolutely. Yeah. Actually, it's funny, right before I was talking to y'all, I was listening to a podcast about uh, Malcolm X and Martin Luther King, and it really made me, it was interesting to think about, you know, I think that the whole nonviolent movement, they had to have been able to they were doing polyvagal stuff without that name, right? Like you couldn't be doing that kind of work if you didn't have a, an, an, some sort of understanding about how to maintain yourself in those situations, right? Like how to, how to confront that kind of violence and, you know, all of those things. It was really interesting. I was like, wow, they were polyvagalists before they, <laughs> before, before they and, and they did this in, with people they loved. There were this this group that they were had formed, right? Was formed on, with the basis of love, so they were co-regulating. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Wow, that's really so. I I want to bring up something because I think the experience last week and this week were remarkably different because of um, the study, like, and and there was something you know about sitting with friends outside of that room um, that I think is really significant versus sitting right in the middle. Is there anything that you could add or share with that, Christine? Um, no, I definitely think that there's definite value to 
having a, a group of friends or people that you know and trust. Absolutely. But I also think, you know, I hadn't really thought about it until just now, but it, to me, it was just a, the difference between last week and this week was we knew what to expect this week. Yeah. We didn't know that they were going to be there last week. Right. And we assumed that they would this week. So just that ability to prepare made a huge difference. Like it's, it's super hard for me to be blindsided by something just because I can't, my brain doesn't actually function very well in those situations. Like I get, I get really focused on like, I just got blindsided as opposed to what should I do now that I've been blindsided? <laughs> and so for me, I think a lot of last week was about just not knowing that that was going to happen and, and not being able to think through how to manage it. Right. I was really just focused on trying to keep my breathing calm so I could stop shaking internally. <laughs> sure. 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 And Christine, I, I also think the recovery time was different. And like you you shared, I, I was up there and I could start recovering even as I was speaking. Right. Um, and I don't know about you, but I went home last week and I was still in recovery. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was, yeah, for lots of reasons, but definitely just from that basic, like wired, like I felt kind of wired from it for a while. And I don't normally feel like that. I have a very calm life. I get to make things all day. So it's very unusual for me to feel that keyed up for that amount of time. Well, I think this really speaks to the power of the situation and also um, how we each have our own individual experience and that's based on our own trauma history. And we know as friends, the two of us have very different trauma histories. Um, and our, our responses, I think, um, how resilient, resilient we are in those moments, I think are reflected um, or are a reflection of the histories that we carry with us. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about, um, also there, there's a judge that listens to our, our talks who is a fabulous co-regulator and he makes eye contact with all the speakers. And I find that is what shifts me. The minute I start speaking, if I can hook in, to his eye contact, I realized that today, oh, I'm co-regulating with the judge. Isn't that nice? <laughs> Have you ever thought of that when you're up there? Um, you know, it's funny, like I know that that's going on with him, but I haven't, I, I have to, to read my statement. I can't actually also see the people in front of me. So they're oh. just kind of blurry. <laughs> so I know they're there and I know that he is on our side and I agree with you, I do. I'm mostly speaking to him in a lot of times, in a lot of ways, because of that. Yeah, that, that calms things down. So I think it would be good just to kind of go back through um, these principles and kind of how we saw them. You, you know, Megan said a, a, talked us through this hierarchy, Christine, this, um, um, the, the three, the, the dorsal vagal, and then the mobilization stage and ventral vagal. Can you apply those at all to your situation or apply your situation to those? 
Um, I'm not sure if I can. I know that when she was talking, it made me think about walking into that room, feeling like I was walking into a room full of people in the sympathetic state. Oh. Like, I don't know that that's true, but that's kind of what it felt like, right? And so, yeah, and so it's kind of like, huh. And I don't know, that was just an interesting observation. Um, and maybe that's what I was feeling, right? All of those nervous systems in the sympathetic state filling the room. Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. And because this resolved in the moment, there was no need to drop into dorsal. Your life wasn't threatened or you didn't have any trauma history that made you feel like you were threatened and you could eventually return to the ventral state, probably once you were outside talking or is that what you thought? Oh yeah, absolutely. I felt, today I felt 100% better just stepping outside the building. I was like, oh, that's good, we're okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it's interesting, Lauren, to point out that I think um, on some level, you know, there's so many ways that um, we each can um, be active in change. And it doesn't always have to be, you know, showing up somewhere in person and saying something or being on the front lines at a protest or something. But often it, it does look like that. And I think that um, in, in its nature, the, the energy and vitality and desire and motivation that are all present um, that allow you to want to show up and be part of the change I think is a sympathetic state because it's a very mobilized state. Um, and I think often, you know, although Lauren and I have talked about this in previous recordings that it, we can welcome ventral energy into dorsal or into sympathetic. So if we're doing something really mobile, but we're also connecting and really enjoying it. So we might be biking with a friend or we might be dancing or something where we're very high energy and active, but also really feeling connected and, um, peaceful, you know, that would be ventral and sympathetic together. But I think often when we're coming up against something that we feel like is um, wrong and needs to change or is unjust or however we're feeling in that particular moment, I, I would think that it would be hard to bring ventral energy into that state. And so it would feel very sympathetic. Right. You know, th that's spot on, Megan. And, and I think what one of the biggest takeaways from this experience and, and this conversation is having someone to co-regulate with, with when you are going to put yourself in this situation, when you know that your sympathetic state will be activated, in, if you can, in the, this time of activism um, and not being alone. I think this is really um, an important thing to consider for our health and well-being. Um, the the other thing takeaway for me is just uh, this this idea of neuroception and knowing your body's going to respond. And you know, Christine, there wasn't a thing you could have done right to have stopped that for for anything. And and not only that. It was, your body was doing exactly what it's designed to do. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, it's interesting. It is interesting. I, yeah, I, the dorsal state is where I still am confused. I, I heard Megan say that that's a survival thing, but it seems counterintuitive. <laughs> so, you know. so I just don't want to drop into dorsal in that state. So. Yeah, and, and perhaps you dip into it, but because of your history, you don't have a pattern of hanging out there very long. Yeah, I guess. That's my indignation again. It brings me right out of dorsal. <laughs> yeah, there you go. In your yeah. mobile eyes. <laughs> yeah. Very helpful in some situations. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, and healthy. And, and healthy. Yeah. Well, wonderful. Christine, thank you so much for coming and sharing this with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. This has been really, this really fun. You guys, I really have been enjoying these podcasts. I really appreciate both of you. Um, taking the time to make them because it really, it's very informative. It's really helped me. I just talked to my 18 year old the other day about his polybagel state. So. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Everyone needs to know. And I can't miss the moment um, of indicating that, that, that Hawthorne gemotherapy would have been well, well indicated in that moment as you had that sensation in your heart, if you couldn't recover right? But you, your body did such a beautiful job of recovery. There's really was not a need. Yeah. Maybe, Maybe I'll start carrying a purse. And so I'll start yep. carrying a purse so I can actually bring Hawthorne with me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Megan, any final thoughts from you? No, Christine, it was uh, lovely to hang out with you. And thanks for sharing so honestly. This was really fun. Oh, thank you. It was a really great experience. Thank you both. So no doubt our conversation has sparked some interest in our work. Um, I'd like to let you all know that you can learn more about gemotherapy, my books, classes, and buy gemotherapy extracts, including Hawthorne, at laurenhubelay.com. And Megan? Yeah, if you're interested in learning more about Asian medicine, um, and this is really interesting. This is relevant. If you're interested in the book that I referred to earlier about the um, treatment of trauma that is both polyvagal informed and uh, traditional Chinese medicine informed, that book is by Elaine Duncan and it's called The Tao of Trauma. And if you're interested in finding out more about my practice or uh, gemotherapy through the Asian lens, you can look at aculemp.com. Beautiful. And if you'd like to learn more, which we fully encourage about polyvagal theory, take a look at Deb Dana's site, The Rhythm of Regulation. It's full of beautiful resources to guide you through this journey. Thank you all.